happy will make you sad. Amen? If it's money that makes you happy when you lose your money, you're going to be sad. If it's your wife that makes you happy when you lose your wife, you're going to be sad. Mm. I, I'm trying to be serious, and y'all are, not, y'all are not letting me be serious. I just tell you right up front, whatever makes you happy is going to make you sad. That's why it's important that we trust the Lord Jesus Christ, because he never leaves us nor, nor forsakes us. So if you trust in him, you don't have to worry about ever being sad. I'm not saying there won't be problems, but he never leaves us. He's always with us. Uh, We think this morning on one verse. We're down to Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. And uh, we're talking about the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher that ever lived, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. There had been a time of failing prophets, of failing priests, of failing kings. There's been a time of longing and uncertainty and uh, uh, unexplained uh, rituals that they were going through. And for 400 solid years, God said nothing. Complete silence. Wouldn't you like to have been there the day that John the Baptist came on the scene and said, look here, guys, the one you've been longing for, he's coming. The Messiah, he's he's here, he's coming. The one that's going to explain all the prophecies to you, he's coming. The one that's not going to just be a prophet or a priest or a king, but the one that's going to be your prophet, priest, and king is coming. And Matthew proclaims him as a king. Not just any king, but the king of kings and lord of lords. And I just remind you, I don't want to be ugly this morning, but if you're going to live in his kingdom, you're going to live by his rules. See, if a king is the king of the kingdom, whatever a king says is what we're going to do. You're not going to waltz in there and do what you want to do. That's why it's important that we look at Matthew 5, 6, and 7 Because this is a constitution. This is what Jesus is saying. This is how we're going to live when I come back and set up my kingdom. It's going to be like that. Now, I realize that he's not on a physical throne today, and he's not sitting in an oval office, and he may not have a palace, but it ought to be that he's a king announced in all of our hearts this morning. We ought to already say he's king of my life and king of my heart. I don't know whether you've seen that poster. Probably you have uh, in, the drug, in the post office. I hope it's fictitious. It says, lost dog, has three legs, one eye, one ear, half a tail, and has been neutered. He answers to the name Lucky. <laughs> you see, in, in order for you to find what you're looking for, it helps to know what it looks like. And when you get into Matthew and the Beatitudes, we find out what Jesus said this thing's going to look like. He said, blessed, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Very few people realize the names of Hugh Holmer or Eric Honecker, but those two men crossed in 1990. Honecker was a mayor of a town in East Germany behind the Iron Curtain. He was a very horrific leader, 
a terrible man, and Homer pastored a church in that town. And their, their lives crossed a lot in confusion and, and uh, trouble. <clears throat> but later on in life, uh, Honecker was uh, put in prison for life. He had cancer. And he was so bad that he couldn't stay in the hospital and he couldn't stay in the prison. He needed to go to a home and, or somewhere that could take care of him and nobody would take him. He said, he deserves what he gets. But Homer said uh, his church had a convalescent center. And so they asked him if he could come to the convalescent center. Well, the convalescent center was full, no room. So Homer decides that he and his wife will take in Hanukkah in their home. Hmm. You would not believe the hate mail and the threats, and everything that came against him because he didn't do what was politically correct. And in his defense, he said this, there's a statue in our town, and it's a statue of Jesus, and he's got open arms, and he's saying, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. And he said, we've been commanded by our Lord to do that very same thing. And I'm not backing down. That's a beautiful picture of mercy. What is mercy? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Well, let me tell you what it's not, first of all, quickly. Mercy does not mean that we tolerate wicked behavior. It doesn't mean we ignore sin or we pay no attention to it. Some people think, well, mercy is just, we just kind of close our eyes to all the bad things going on. That's not mercy, folks. The, the United States of America has been morally weakened because our nation is putting up with every sort of perversion and drug addiction, drunkenness, abortion, immorality, shacking up, and we could go on and on and on. And it is not merciful for us to say, well, just leave them alone. That's not what mercy is. A few definitions, the Hebrew word for mercy is rakum, which means an emotional response to the needs of others. It means to feel the pain of another person so deeply that you're compelled to do something about it. Mercy means it's me saying, I would rather hurt than you hurt. Mercy is me saying, I'd rather be uncomfortable than you have to be uncomfortable. First Chronicles 21.13 tells us his mercy is very great. Nehemiah 9.31 talks about your great mercy. Luke 178 tells us that Christ came because of the tender mercies of our God. Romans 9.16 says God's election springs from God's mercy. Ephesians 2.4, he's rich in mercy. Hebrews 4.16, when we come to Jesus in prayer, we're coming to a throne of grace where we can receive mercy. According to Titus 3.5, God saved us because of his mercy. And James 5.11 declares the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Swindoll says it best like this. Mercy is God's ministry to the miserable. God's ministry to the miserable. Now, in Luke chapter 10, there's a story of a good Samaritan. And we won't take time to read it this morning. If you haven't familiar with it, do it when you get home. But a guy left Jerusalem, and he's going down to Jericho. 
And in that stretch, if you've been to the Holy Land there, you know that there's caves and all kinds of hills and little inlets and cutlets and all in there. And robbers are everywhere. And the Bible says he fell among thieves. The Bible says that he's beaten up and he's laying there on the side of the road. And here comes a priest by and he walks over to the other side of the road to walk by him. And then here comes a Levi, and he walks by on the other side of the road. And then here comes a Samaritan, and the Bible says that this Samaritan bandages him up, cleans him up, cuts his, uh, his cuts and bruises, uh, helps him, puts some oil on there, puts him on his beast, carries him back into town, leaves him at the local hotel, gives him two denarii, and says, if he takes more than this, I'll pay you when I come back through. And then Jesus said, which one of these showed mercy toward him? And he said, you go and do likewise. Now, in looking at that, there's some truths we need to walk away with. One is merciful sees the distress of others. We're not sublimely focused on our own things. It's all about me, Jesus. We want to sing that song a little bit too much. See, mercy involves three things. Number one, I see the need. That's called recognition. And number two, I'm moved by the need. That's called motivation. But number three, I move to meet the need. That's called action. And you see, one who's merciful is moved in order to meet the need that's affected. I, I came across this. I don't like it, but I'm afraid it's far more true than just my anger against it. It's anonymous. Sometimes the best notes we get are those who are anonymous. He's a wonderful guy. He said, uh, I was hungry, but you formed a humanities club to discuss my hunger. Thank you. I was imprisoned, and you crept off quietly to your church to pray for my release. That, that was nice. I was naked, and in your mind, you debated the morality of my appearance. What good did that do? I was sick. And you knelt and thanked God for your health. But I needed you. I was homeless and you preached to me about the shelter of the love of God. I sure wish you'd have taken me home. I was lonely and you left me alone so you could go and pray for me. Why didn't you stay and pray with me? You seem so holy. You seem so close to God. I'm serious. But I'm still very hungry, lonely cold and still in pain does that matter to you wow see sometimes we're we're <laughs> we're just so busy doing what we need mercy is undeserved there's not a one of us in this room that deserved the mercy of God but it's also unlimited hallelujah Whew, you can't outspend God's mercy Ephesians 2 says it like this you hath he quickened you know who needs to be quickened? Somebody that's dead. If you're not dead, you don't need to be quickened. He said, you had he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. He's talking to us. Wherein in time past, you walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. He said, you once were walking according to what the devil wanted you to do. You were disobedient. He said, among whom also we all had our conversation in times in the lust of our flesh. 
We're lusting in our flesh and then fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind and by nature, the children of wrath, even as others. That's who we are. That's who we are. So a good grief, we just shut down shop and go home. No, you got to read verse 4. But God, but God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. <laughs> Unlimited, undeserved. Psalm 107.1 says, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord for he's good, for his mercy endureth forever. 2 Corinthians 5.21, He hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made in the righteousness of God himself. I was kind of studying that a little bit, and, and I, I misunderstood it. I've mispreached it for 47 years. See, I've, I've preached that he took on our sin. He took on my rape. He took on my drugs. He took on my alcohol. He took on my immorality. He took on my jealousy. He took on my illicit sex. He took on my gossip. He took over my backbite. I'm going to fool around and hit one of you in a minute. He took on all of that. Huh? But that's not what the Scripture says. He became he who knew no sin. He didn't take on my sin. He became my sin. He became a rapist. He became immoral. He became a liar. He became a gossip. He didn't have to, but he chose to. And that's what we call mercy. Mercy. Jeremiah understood it. He said the mercy never ends when you get saved. Do you realize that this morning when the sun came up, a whole new set of mercies came into being? You know why? Because you're so mean you used all yours up yesterday. <laughs> Every morning, new mercies I see. Praise the Lord. Some of you, it would do you well to stop and remember just where you came from. See, I'm looking at some of you in here thought Job was Job. And the preacher said, turn to Habakkuk, and you're sitting there. You don't know where it is? Oh, yeah, I know where it is. I'm just cruising through my Bible. No, you're not. You're lost. You have no idea where Habakkuk is. Some of you still don't, but some of you do. Some of you have come to the place where you took a box of envelopes two or three years ago, and you didn't used to use but just one or two of them, and then they were left over. But you've got up now where some of you are using 24, 25 of them a year. I mean, you're almost giving every other Sunday. Huh? I mean, and, whoo, some of you are coming back on Sunday night. And then some of you got the nerve to go sing in the choir or work in the children's ministry or, or drive a bus or, or, or become involved in one of the services or teach a small group. In fact, sometimes, now, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about me. Sometimes I get so good at getting saved that I don't realize there's nothing good in me. Now, there's nothing wrong with being spoiled. I spoiled. I, there's nothing wrong with being spoiled until you come to the place where you think you deserve being spoiled. <laughs> And then, buddy, you got a real problem. 
Oh, yeah, Lord, as long as I've been preaching. Lord, as long as I've been serving you. Lord, as long as I've been praying. Lord, as long as I've been teaching Sunday school. You are blessed to have me. And I just remind you that our good things we did last week are not going to get us saved. And they're not going to even keep us saved. The only thing going to get you saved is the blood of Jesus Christ. That's it. And you do not do these good things in order to be saved. You do these good things because you are saved. Well, that's what mercy is. There's a few barriers, though, that keep us. I jotted a few down that keep us from really demonstrating mercy in our own lives. You see, the greatest problem we face here this morning is mercy doesn't come natural. There's something come natural. Eating comes natural. You're going to eat. You get hungry, you're going to eat. Drink, same thing. But mercy doesn't come natural. Doesn't come natural at all. We've received it, and it tells us that those who have received it, we need to also show it. But for some reasons, we may struggle with mercy. For example, the busyness of religion. We get so busy doing great things for God that we don't have time to show mercy. And, and the Bible says, blessed are they, are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Our, we're doing a staff meeting tomorrow, and I was looking at the calendar. Good grief, 2020, it'll give you a heart attack just looking at what's going on. Lord, I don't have time to really help anybody. I've got things I've got to do. I'm working for the glory of God. And a lot of times our busyness in religion keeps us from being the person of God that he wants us to be. I read the story of the seminary professor that set up his preaching class in an unusual way. He scheduled all of his students to preach on the parable of the Good Samaritan. And then he gave them different spots that they had to go to. At 9 o'clock, everybody meets at the spot that they're designated to. 9 o'clock. And at 10 o'clock, you got to be here to preach the sermon on the parable of the Good Samaritan. And so some of them were three-quarters of a mile off the campus. Some was a half mile. Some was there close and everything. But every one of them had to come through this one certain path. And he had gotten one of his friends who was an actor to dress up like a homeless bum. Every per all 20 students scattered from some far, some close, some near, had to come through that path and pass that homeless bum. And then they on their way now, brethren, to preach the parable of the Good Samaritan. <laughs> Ah, the ones who, who had the best excuse were those who were far off because they were in a hurry. Uh, the professor, we would have stopped if we'd have had time. But we didn't have time to stop and help a guy who needed help because we've got to be here at your class to preach the sermon on the parable of the Good Samaritan. Does that sound like some of us? Hmm. Well... In this life, we are busy, and we get in a routine, and I want to tell you, the older I get, there's not that much wrong with a routine, unless somebody moves over and puts a tube of Bengay there in place of where the toothpaste is supposed to go. 
other than that, <laughs> routines are good. They're not that bad. Jesus had some harsh words for those in his day. In Matthew 23, he said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe men and deal and come in, and you've neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides who strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. He said, I'm not telling you, don't serve the Lord. My soul, you need to teach Bible study. You need to be in the choir. You need to be working with you. I'm not telling you, don't do that. I'm telling you, don't neglect what God called you to do and blame it on God calling you to do something else. That's what he's saying. So our religion, busyness. Now remember, I'm preaching to myself. Our prejudice and judgmental attitude. Y'all are so kind and gentle. You're a great church. But I'm a, I'm a good Pharisee. Uh, we extend mercy if we approve of it. Just let that sink in just a minute. We extend mercy to those who are like us. If they dress differently, if they got different, we may not extend mercy. Mm. See, we, we sit here in our little group and we try to determine if they deserve mercy. Because we're going to make up our mind whether or not to give it to them based on the fact that we decide they deserve it or not. I spent three hours on an airplane Thursday with one thing in common, one thing I tried to do. I looked this scripture over everywhere I could trying to find out a qualifier on Matthew 5, 17. I thought, Lord, surely it's in there. You're a God of just. Surely in there somewhere, it says that we ought to be merciful if somebody's trying to do right. Or we ought to be merciful if they're really in a bad predicament and, and we can help them. I can't find a qualifying act anywhere in the whole Bible. It just says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Mm. And then... Not only busyness of the church and prejudice and judgmental attitude, unforgiving spirit. Boy, we hold a death grip on them grudges. We're not going to let go. We sing that old song, I shall not be moved. Like a tree planted by the river, I shall not be moved. I'm not going to give up. You don't know what they did to me. No, but the truth is probably what they did to you is not near as bad as what you've done to Jesus. And he still extends mercy to you. And to me. Mm. Mercy cannot exist in a heart that harbors and cultivates that toxic attitude of unforgiveness. And then arrogance and pride. Forgetfulness. In Matthew chapter 18, there's a scripture there where this guy owes a big debt. We're not sure how big a debt, but a big debt, say $10,000. And they're, they're fixing to collect. He's going to have to go to the jail. He can't pay it. But the master who, own, who owes, owns the debt, the guy owe it to him, he decides he's going to release him and let him go. He says, paid for. Whew, my chains are gone. I've been set free. 
But the Bible says he leaves that place, goes out, sees another man who owns, owes him a small debt, say $10. And he says, hey, man, I need my $10. And the guy says, well, work with me. I'll, I'll try. No, I'm not working with you. Haul him off to jail right now. And he refuses. Of course, then you know what happens. The guy comes back and says, I'm not forgiving you of your debt. You're going to jail. Mm. Now, you know what amazes me? If I, I just be honest, you know me. What amazes me is that sometimes it seems like the one who's been shown the most mercy is the very one who has no mercy for nobody else. And see, everybody thinks preachers are dumb. Brother Case is not real intelligent. He's dumb. You can live in sin behind Brother Case and he don't know anything about it. He's just dumb. He just, he just loves Jesus. That's how preachers are. We just love Jesus. We don't know what's going on. Don't be, an idiot. Uh, don't be that way. <laughs> we do know what's going on in many occasions. And it is amazing to me how you find someone who God has so blessed in mercy and forgiven. And then a month later, they're leading the charge to try to condemn somebody else. I'm saying, what, what, what's wrong with this picture? Arrogance, pride, wow. I read about the mom who took her kids to the restaurant. And her little six-year-old was praying. And he said, uh, God is good. God is great. Thank you for the food. God, I'd thank you even more if Mama would bring us some ice cream for dessert. The people sitting around all kind of mumbled and laughed, except one dear old saint of God. That's what's wrong in this world. Kids don't know how to pray. You got them in every group. The little boy started crying. He said, Mom, is, is God mad? No, 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 son. God's not mad. No, just overlook this. An older man came and put his hand on that little boy and said, I want to tell you, I, I love that prayer. And he said, ice cream is good for the heart and the soul. Well, of course, the little boy, you know, kind of straightened up. And his mama got him some ice cream. The little boy looked at, his, at the ice cream there. He never picked up the spoon. He just looked at it. And then he picked up the ice cream. And he carried it over to that lady. And he set it down. And he said, ma'am, ice cream is good for the heart and soul. And mine's already good. And he turned and walked around. Huh? I mean, from the time we got on this bandwagon, it's been rough. We, we, we've, we've talked about poor in spirit. We've got nothing apart from God. We talked about mourning, not for people, but we're mourning over our sin because it was my sin that nailed Jesus to the cross. We talked about being gentle and meek, emptying ourselves of all of our rights and controls of, of our life and hunger and thirsting for God and longing to be like him. And people say, I can't show mercy because I can't get past what they've done. I can't get past what they are. I can't show them kindness. Well, I'll just tell you, friend, 
If you come up close to Calvary and begin to understand Calvary, you can show people mercy. You just got to understand the cross. Well, let me finish up. What does mercy accomplish? Well, as I mentioned before, I want to mention again because I don't want you to be misunderstood. Don't mind being quoted. Just quote me right. Mercy has nothing to do with you obtaining salvation. You show mercy because you have obtained salvation. Mercy meets the needs of others. And we can give those who are hungry for food, we can give them food. Those who are thirsty, we can give them a drink. Those who are lonely and hurt, we give them comfort and peace. Those who are naked, we give them clothing. Lost and hopeless, (laughs) we give them Jesus. But mercy not only meets the needs of those who need it, mercy rewards those who are merciful. That, that, this, blessed are the merciful, colon, for they shall obtain mercy. Wow. You see, you get a receipt. We receive a blessing from giving. You, you go over, I got a list I can send you to right now that you go over and you need to be a blessing to some of the homebound people we got. But I promise you, when you leave there two hours later, you're not the one there to give the blessing. You're going to be the one that leaves with the blessing. So extending yourself to help somebody not only gives them a blessing, but it gives you the reward of the blessing. (laughs) An inner peace, a satisfaction to know that God's used you. It can also heal you. Maybe you've been scarred from unforgiveness or bitterness. You can be healed. Corey Ten Boone, in her book, The Hiding Place, shares a story about a post-war meeting with one of the guards from the concentration camp at uh, Ravensbrook, where she was. And her, da- her sister, Betsy, died in that camp. And she almost died in the camp. She said she was at a church service in Munich, and she said, I saw him, the former SS officer who stood guard over the shower room where all the ladies were taking showers. And she said, immediately it came back to my mind, all those men mocking us, all the clothes heaped up in a pile, everybody watching, and and all of the, the statements and the mocking and all of this. He said, she said, it all came back to me. And she said, he comes up to me, and he's got a, a beam about him, and he's got a glow about him. He comes up to me and says, I want, to know, want you to know how grateful I am for your testimony because to think as you say, he washed my sins away. And then he thrust out his hand. She said, uh, I'm the one who's taught people to forgive. But she said, I kept my hand at my side. I was angry. I had vengeful thoughts. Jesus had died for this man. Was I going to ask more? She said, I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I couldn't raise my hand. I felt nothing, not the slightest warmth or charity. And so again, she said, I breathed a silent prayer. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. She said, my hand went up and took his hand, and the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder all the way down my arm, it was like a current 
seemed to pass from me to him. And while into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. That's mercy. That's mercy. Dr. Adrian Rogers is my favorite preacher to read after. I'd preach his sermons here every week, but some of y'all know him. You read them and you I can't do that. But I love them. He gives an illustration in this sermon on this scripture. He says, in this congregation, we can just use it here. In this congregation this morning, there are three kinds of people. There are the beater-uppers, there are the passer-uppers, and there are the picker-uppers. You don't have to look very far for the beater-uppers. They're on every corner. I mean, even in churches today, we've got a ministry. We, would, Sir, would you stand up and give a, a testimony of criticism? We'd like to hear it. I mean, everywhere you look, people nitpicking and griping and bellyaching and backbiting, and they forget about the goodness of God. They forget about the God who spared. Listen to me. It ought not to be any big deal for me to give my life completely to a God who ended up sparing my life to start with. I wouldn't be here if he hadn't spared me. You wouldn't be here if he hadn't spared you. And then you're going to nitpick over whether or not you're going to give this or you're going to give this. Oh, good grief. The beater-uppers. What children in this place on these grounds. Some of them been wounded. Some of them victims of slumlords. Even right here in East Texas. Some of them have been caught up in cults and false doctrine, liberalism. Oh, and I'll tell you, you don't have to look far for the beater-uppers. And then there's the passer-uppers. <clears throat> Those are the ones who <clears throat> button our coat, and we walk by, and we pass them up. And the church rolls are full of them. But then, bless God, there's the picker-uppers. <laughs> Hallelujah. We sang that song, Our God's an Awesome God. He's awesome on the mountains. But I want to tell you, the real truth of it is, there's probably more of you in here in the valleys this morning that's on the mountains. But he's still awesome in the valleys. And instead of us doing all the planning and preparation and all the things we've got to do to make things go and make things happen. All that stuff's got to be done. But oh my goodness, there's a bunch of folk in here that really what they need this morning is some picker-upper just to put their arm around them say, I want you to know you're not by yourself. I'm going to stand with you. I want to be a part of a picker-upper church. Now listen, if you've not been saved, everything I've said for the last 10 minutes, that was a joke, I've spent more than 10 minutes, but everything I've said doesn't make any sense to you because it's totally contrary to the world. The Beatitudes are totally contrary to the world. Doesn't make any sense. You say, preacher, what you're doing don't make any sense. 
It will if you'll confess you're a sinner and you come to Jesus Christ this morning. It'll make sense. It'll all add in there together. It'll all come together. You say, preacher, I tell you, I really want to come, but I got some things in my life I want to straighten out. Then you'll go to hell. You'll never come. You don't clean fish before they get in the boat. You come to Jesus and let him and the Holy Spirit take care of cleaning you up. And you don't need no Baptist to clean you up either. Isn't that amazing? Somebody want to clean somebody up, ain't even got their own self clean. Jesus can clean you up. You can be saved this morning. You walked in this building lost without Christ. You can walk out of here singing amazing grace. My chains are gone. I've been set free. You can do that today. Maybe this morning you are saved, but man, you just, ah, it's easy. Isn't it easy to kind of just go with the flow? And you, you used to be a picker-upper. You used to take the little children over here and Give them a piece of candy or a sucker or, or give them a hug and say, hey, I love you. And man, a smile. But somewhere in all of this rat race, you've kind of just got content to be a passerby and just watch them pass by. And there may be some of you in here that just are a beater upper. And you just need a good dose of the love of Jesus change your attitude in your heart if you're looking for a church home hey i'm not gonna lie to you we got some beater uppers we got some passer uppers but i want to tell you something now listen to me in all the churches i've been in we got a tremendous group of picker uppers in this church more than 70 of you each wednesday night work in this children's ministry out here and that's while the choir's going on, and that's while youth ministry's going on, and that's while Bible study's going on. Hey, you don't have to do that. That's being a picker-upper. Praise God for you. Don't let up. Don't let up. And for goodness sake, don't come to the place where you think because you have done something, you deserve some entitlement. Father, thank you this morning. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light. God, I pray this morning you would speak to the hearts of people that need to be saved today. And Lord, when that music begins and we start this invitation, and people say, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. I, I pray that your spirit would so guide them they're willing to say yes, even before they know what you want them to do. Have your way in every life in this building today. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for your mercy. There's no way we could ever repay what you've done for us and blessed us with. Thank you. Have your way during this invitation. In Jesus' name, amen.